0: Hello, and welcome to The Exit, presented by Flippa, the world's largest marketplace to buy and sell online businesses and startups. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring amazing entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You'll learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. Now, in this episode, I sit down with Melinda Whitstock. She's an awesome entrepreneur and currently the CEO and founder of Parapolo, And this is an awesome new business that she started over the past couple of years, and they are now a scale-up, where they are growing rapidly, and they're about to close their Series A. She goes through a lot of the experiences that she's had in the media and advertising business, an incredible story about how they got to 3 million daily listeners on a project she had previously, and just the nitty-gritty around exiting a business in the media space. So, without further ado, let's sit down and learn more about Melinda Whitstock's background here on The Exit. All right, what is up, everyone? Today I am joined by Melinda Whitstock, and she's the CEO and founder of Potopolo. How's it going, Melinda?
1: Hey, great, Steve. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, excited to dig into to your successes and the ups and downs and all that. But before we get into that, let's hear your origin story. How did you get into business and entrepreneurship?
1: Oh, my goodness. I I think sometimes it just runs in the DNA. I I don't know. I I look back and think what possessed a a near six year old child to go door to door demanding prepayment for a show um, and just assume that everybody wanted to come and making my first hundred dollars right the way through to being a serial entrepreneur where I can't not do it. It's as simple as that. And I've grown a number of businesses, all of them in the space of media, interactive media, social media, and data analytics and technology all at that intersection with the concept of the best content Uh, is conversation and using technology really to innovate in all of those spaces. And I guess it goes back to that original show because I also wanted, you know, the data, you know, on (laughs) how everyone liked it and, you know, what would they want next and this sort of thing. But I've built a number of companies uh, into seven figures, eight figures. And Podofilo right now uh, is a really exciting opportunity. We think is a multi-billion dollar business.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So let's start out with uh, taking us back to the first success that you had and kind of what that business was and how you got started there.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I mean, probably the very first was in college when I was the editor of my student newspaper at McGill University, The Daily. And we were running out of funding because the student council that we always wrote stories about, you know, that were, I guess, they perceived as negative, uh, just basically tried to take away our funding. And so I was the one who said, okay, let's sell advertising. And created an ad department and realized the student body alone wasn't enough to support an advertising model. So figured out a way to take the paper citywide in Montreal with Montreal's first ever entertainment uh, listings in the English language. And that grew as a student newspaper into this incredible business. I mean, we became extremely profitable. I think it was like 18 or 19 years old. And and it evolved into a publication called the Montreal Mirror. Uh, and then I, I just, you know, I didn't think about exits or anything like that at that stage. I didn't even know what that was really. And I went off to London and became a journalist for a while, Um As an adult, though, after having disrupted and innovated within major media companies, whether it was creating all the programs for the Financial Times newspaper in Europe and Asia, uh, their television programs, or creating a a major news magazine for the BBC and growing that to a 20 million audience in a few short months, um, I really got, you know, pulled back into, uh, I guess, pure entrepreneurship after 9-11. Because everyone was talking about, you know, our democracy, it's so important to defend. And I looked around and thought, you know, no one's really voting. No one's really engaged, you know, back at that time. And that was the impetus to create capital news connection which in a few short months grew to a daily audience of 3 million people across 300 public radio stations, commercial radio stations, major market television stations, newspapers, and increasingly digital properties. And what we did there was really innovate a way of creating highly localized and personalized news, uh, political news at scale that focused on the impacts locally of decisions being made um, in Congress and White House and K Street. I won 17, Edward R. Murrow Awards for that, created really a, a, a whole new business model for really repurposing content um, with a very small team to personalize at scale. Uh, that company did very well, um, exited that company. I wish I knew more about exits. Yes, another opportunity here where I could have gotten a lot more for that company um, mm-hmm. than I did. But along the way with Capital News Connection, I I really got excited about the ability of technology, particularly um, on on supervised machine learning, natural language processing, and clustering algorithms and all these cool things to really be able to scale content, personalize it, make it more relevant, and apply those algorithms to being able to understand uh, people's not only wants, desires, you know, behaviors and whatnot, or their influence in a conversation, but also to um, accurately assess how accurate or how reliable is that user-generated content? And that company was a bleeding-edge company, 2011, where like investors would say to me things like, hey, so Melinda, you're really banking on user-generated content. What you, what makes you think that's going to be big? And i said, well, these new things, you know, Twitter and Facebook and people are doing it. And I think, you know, uh, folks really want to contribute, uh, you know, to the news conversation or they're an eyewitness to something and, and whatnot. And they'd say, okay, well, even if that's true, you're going to have so much data. You know, how are you going to, manage all of that. And I'd say, well, there's this new thing called the cloud. And they say, okay, well, even if that's all working, uh, you're, you're banking it all on mobile. You know, what makes you think mobile is going to be big? <laughs> the conversation <laughs> would go something like that in, you know, in, in 2011. But that company grew to about 500,000 users, all creating content Uh, with these incredibly groundbreaking algorithms that could actually uh, really solving the fake news problem before we all knew we had one. That company sadly did not get to exit, didn't have enough money to really uh, continue. It was like very difficult to get funded uh, just for the very reason that investors perceived risk at each one of those points, right? That, you know, we were maybe trying to do too much. I could see it, that company would work now. Um, That morphed into Verifeed, um, which took that same technology and applied it to social media uh, conversations using unstructured data, natural language processing, all the things to really actually understand uh, who was an ideal customer um, uh, for a brand or a business. Um, And that business actually did well, but it was a really hard business because you'd get the most amazing data-driven insights that our clients really didn't know how to use and wanted us to implement, which became sort of a story of, do I really want to run an agency business? And the answer is no, not really. I didn't really want to run an agency business. I wanted to create a highly scalable, you know, SaaS platform. Um, And uh, along the way, um, it occurred to me that this might be quite usable in the mergers and acquisition space. As a real time indicator of the valuation growth um, of a company, just by understanding how much esteem, you know, customers had for a certain brand or, um, and, and, and whatnot. And so that, uh, uh, you know, was really kind of, uh, absorbed into. Uh the, the work of Zero Limits Ventures. Um, actually, our board chairman at Padopolo runs Zero Limits Ventures. You should definitely have him on your podcast. He's a valuation growth expert. And this is now used, you know, with all his clients as a mechanism of not only assuring uh valuation growth, but being able to assess it. Uh, so that's kind of like a brief, uh not so brief, maybe history of all the stuff that I've done. Um, suffice to say, somewhere along the line, like you, I I launched a podcast and I launched the podcast that I wished that I'd always had as a female founder in tech. Uh, there's not more of us now, but at the time, not very many. Um, Uh, Obviously, still struggle to, you know, 2% of highly scalable, qualified, female-founded companies actually get venture money. And that's a percentage that hasn't moved in two decades. And so I really wanted to affirm and acclaim the journeys of female entrepreneurs and provide real practical advice, you know, for Mm -hmm. women founders, any industry at whatever stage of, of their business or business growth that they're at. Uh, 700 episodes in now with more than a million listeners at Wings of Inspired Business. And as I was building that, even with all my business and marketing expertise, technology expertise, it was difficult as a podcaster to be able to figure out how to grow reach, how to get discovered, how to engage uh, your audiences, how to actually know who's listening and understand who's listening, and moreover, how to actually make money from podcasting. So the initial idea for Podopolo was really about that. It was part creator's economy. How can podcasters really, when 85% of them don't make any money, how can we change that game? And how can we make it a wildly improved listener experience, discovery experience, and interactive um, experience for listeners? Uh, So that's what I've been doing for the last 18 months or so. And business has moved from startup to scale up.
0: Very cool. And when it comes to a lot of the questions that I get on a regular basis around exits, it's, it's a lot of what's tracked is what I always kind of come back to. And yeah. coming from the kind of media advertising space, what types of things were you guys tracking at your, your business that you, uh, I guess the first success business that you had, um, how, how did you package that up? And you said you know there was a really hard business that you had with the data and the analytics kind of focus. But besides that, because I, I think that might be a little more difficult to unpack, what types of things were you pack? Uh, were you tracking that helped? Do you think with you know exiting your companies?
1: Yeah. So in the in the context of Capital News Connection, it was just audience growth and the fact that we had regular engaged mm-hmm. listeners and viewers at three million a day. Uh, yeah. You know, which is amazing, and it was sustained. Uh, one thing that we did with Capital News Connection that I didn't mention was. Uh, I like to call it an app, but back in 2008, it was a widget <laughs> that lived on different websites using Flash. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember that? Uh, and um, that grew to 3 million users. And it was a really innovative app that any citizen could ask any question of their lawmaker in Congress and vote the questions up the order and our correspondence they were accredited journalists in Capitol Hill or the White House, could go around and get those answered uh, with follow-ups. And those answers would then be on this app or widget for people to listen to, comment, and share. One of the things that was really interesting about that is the answers that we got from lawmakers when citizens were asking the questions were much more newsworthy, much more authentic, much more real than any journalist questions. And those stories became more saleable if, if you will, like, like those became more kind of profitable stories. So we were always looking at things like obviously growth, but obviously profitable growth. Right. Uh, ask Your Lawmaker filled a really great way because citizens were asking the questions. It became this news engine that made news gathering less costly. Uh, So that was um, a mechanism. Also, obviously the conversion rates on that, how many listener questions we were getting, you know, and you had a thousand people putting their name to one quest, you know, their name to one question. And then, you know, 5,000 people the next week putting their name to that question, those sorts of things. Uh, But the other thing we were tracking in that business was the reason we could win all these awards and be so productive only with like six reporters, I think eight reporters at its height producing hundreds of stories like every week that were NPR quality, uh, like really in-depth uh, you know, pieces uh, for NPR stations, for instance, is because we worked as a team and we were really good at repurposing. So one of the metrics we followed there was if you create content once, can you repurpose it multiple times? And that was actually an internal metric uh, that we used at that company as well. Now, all these companies are very, very different. Like when I look at Podopolo right now, uh, you know, what we're measuring is obviously the, the things you would measure in terms of, you know, user traction, um, engagement, but also uh, measures of virality, like how many podcasters invite their listeners to listen on Podopolo as opposed to another app right? Um, How many listeners are inviting their friends? How much time is spent listening? Like we're excited right now because our listening hours number is going up 500% a week. Uh, That feels good. We look at retention rates right now on Podopolo, 93%. We look at, you know, average, uh, uh, you know, um, average weekly use, not so much a daily use or monthly. We, We do have that, but that's at 67%. So how to keep those, how, those are good numbers, how to sustain and maintain those, how to continue to get drive higher and higher conversion rates. But we also look at metrics of customer success, like net promoter scores, how happy are people with the product, right? Uh, you know, are they happy enough to tell a friend is, is, is very critical. We're also looking at things like how can we move the needle for podcasters and content creators? So they're making more and more money, whether it's through the advertising placement or through subscriptions or crypto tip jars or any of the different things um, that we we could do. Um, There's also in our case, because we're a social impact company, we have these big stretch goals about how much have we given to I don't know, remove CO2 from the atmosphere or help people in Ukraine, not only as a company, but amongst all our listeners, amongst all our podcasters. How are we leaving the world better um, than it was? Um, And many other metrics. Because the platform has um, a very sophisticated AI within it that helps podcasters really understand and know for the first time who's actually listening to their podcast, um, uh, uh, that AI uh, allows us to to provide a much more predictable and higher return of, on investment for advertisers who know that their ads are being placed on podcasts where they'll get a much higher conversion rate than just playing a numbers game and on a you know qualified podcast with 10,000 downloads or more and hoping for a 2% conversion rate, we can get those rates up higher for advertisers. And as a result, the other number we're looking at is how can we increase the standard sort of $25 on-air CPM for a podcast ad, you know, to 40, to 50, to 70, as a result of that precision targeting.
0: Cool. Very cool. Yeah. I like that you can do more, more of a deep dive on who's actually listening. That's a a big issue uh, in this space. It is.
1: (laughs) We're solving it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And with, you know, when it comes to timing, I, I get this question pretty frequently, but we talked a little bit about, you know, what you were tracking What could you share about the, you know, preparing yourself and timing around exiting a business? Like what that, what Uh, that looks like for for you, because it's kind of this unicorn question.
1: (laughs) It's such a great question because there's lots that you don't know, right. Um, about, uh, not only your own kind of emotional threshold, as a founder, right? And I'm sure you're having sold your business, right? What you go through as a founder, just emotionally, because it's kind of like your baby, you're so attached to it. Um, One of the things that um, I think about is, uh, you know, we have a number of different exit paths, right? They're they're basically two. Either you're going to do, you're going to go to IPO or you're going to uh, sell to another company, which is the latter is far more likely. And it also requires you to look honestly at yourself as do you want to be the CEO of a public company? Yay or nay, right? And if not you, who? Like if that's where you're going to go. If you're thinking about who's going to buy your company, um, so often I hear founders and I've mentored many of them say things like, I don't know, we're just going to build it and somebody's going to buy it, which isn't really much of a strategy. And, I mean, the actual fact that companies, you know, really are, are bought, not sold. What's the value that you are going to likely provide to a potential buyer? Why would they want what you have? Like, you know, why and strategically, how can you start to have uh, potential partnerships with your potential exits early on and start to develop those relationships develop optionality around that, always be, always be thinking of it, but also be cognizant of what is actually driving the valuation growth of your business. And I think most founders think, okay, well, it's revenue, it's earnings. Uh, There may be some other, you know, engagement metric, uh, you know, depending on the business. But often there are so many other things that aren't necessarily like obvious, I like to use the example of Zappos, which wasn't really doing anything that Amazon wasn't doing, uh, sold to a billion dollars to Amazon. Why? Because it had this amazingly innovative uh, uh, customer success culture uh, that was something that Amazon really wanted, and that was worth paying a billion dollars for. So so what is it when you cast around the marketplace what is it that's going to really advance um a, a, another another company Maybe it's your social impact mission. Maybe it's your just engagement. Maybe you just have like an amazing community. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, it, there, there are so many different things, obviously, your intellectual property and all of these things. And usually uh, for a company, there are a couple of really core ones and there's some other secondary ones. But to think about your valuation growth in that context from the early days and operationalize it is something I see very few founders doing and something that we're really focused on, you know, at Podopolo.
0: Very cool. Yeah, uh, the valuation growth concept. I I'm familiar with like 409A valuations and all that fun paperwork stuff uh, <laughs> when it comes to like evaluating the the market that you're in, all these different factors, the you know state of the economy, and all of this. Uh, but with, I'm curious yeah. just around some of the important driving factors for like your current venture with valuation could you share a little bit for people listening because this is a unique perspective or well, valuation it's
1: top of mind at the moment because we're just about to close our series A and the valuation of the company has gone up considerably just in 2 months and, mm-hmm. and valuation it's a, it's a really it's an art <laughs> i think for yeah. a science because it's kind of in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, Steve, as you know, there, there are, you know, kind of standard exit multiples or like, mul- you know, multiples for different businesses. Like a SaaS company is going to, you know, be 5X, 10X, whatever. A, a different company would be something else, right? So there are those kind of broad kind of, uh, you know, patina you can put on it. But then there's other things. So is like your type of revenue. Is it recurring, right? Is it predictable, Right. What are some of the other factors? What are the risk factors? Um, and then in our case, uh, I don't know if I can announce it yet. It's like so close to announcing, but like we have some very exclusive strategic partners that took our valuation like more than th- three or four times our valuation just in the past four weeks.
0: Wow. Yeah. Partnerships are big. They can definitely yeah. open the, open the doors.
1: It's huge because in our case, we have this kind of bottom up marketing strategy with a podcaster by podcaster, listener by listener, right? You know, which is hard mm-hmm. work.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. And then we yeah. have this other more top down strategy of actually, you know, partnering with other folks that put their whole marketing muscle Um, because we're providing value to them that they wouldn't have otherwise had.
0: Well said. Well, that's a great segue into the finale question here. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell Melinda 10 years ago?
1: Oh my God. There's so many things. I, (laughs) I think the, the number one thing is not to sweat the how really actually understand the why and the what like your North star and, uh, a little bit, you know, be flexible on the how. The, the best metaphor is a sailing one. You cannot sail anywhere in a straight line. The wind's going to change. It's going to be all kinds of stuff beyond your control and you're going to zigzag there. And it's kind of learning sort of self-acceptance and self-value. Like it's okay learning that those failures along the way are your best learning opportunities and your best opportunities. And I've now so much at peace, like, oh, it's, it's a little, it's something that's not working. Well, it's awesome. It's exciting. We're, we, it's, it's feedback. Like, <laughs> we're going to learn something from this. Um, but it, it, I wish I'd known that a little bit earlier rather than I think there's a tendency to think, oh my God, I'm the only one failing here because everyone else that I read about has it all figured out. And it's never true. Uh, startups are hard, Uh, scale-ups are hard, all of it. It's all hard all of the time, um, no matter who you are, uh, mostly because of the things you can't control. Um, and, you know, being at peace with that, um, knowing your own value and going towards your North Star, key things.
0: Well said, well said. Well, those are all the questions I have for you. The last piece is kind of rolling out the red carpet. Uh, (laughs) where can people learn more about what you're working on?
1: Oh, I'll well, just go to, Podopolo. Uh, we, we have a lot of laughs about uh, you know how to pronounce the name. It it sort of it looks like it's Podopolo, so P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, but it's Podopolo. So podopolo.com, uh, Instagram at Podopolo, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Podopolo Network. Um, and obviously it's free in both app stores. Um, and uh, really invite everybody to come in and check it out. Your podcast is there. We have 5 million and I really souped up recommend engine that finds you exactly the right podcast for you instantaneously. And the flip side of that, the matchmaking side of it is we send podcasters the exact right audiences for them to grow their reach and their revenue.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, wherever you guys are listening to this, if it's on Potapolo, that's that's (laughs) awesome. You say Uh,
1: tomato, I say tomato. uh,
0: Potapolo, whether it's on there or iTunes or Spotify, definitely check that out. Also, all the links that Melinda mentioned are in the show notes, but thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story.
1: That was great. Thank you.